Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We're scooting back to the war years today and the USA. Today's subject combines two things that seem to appear in tandem so often in the great racehorses, utter brilliance and slight madness. But like so many others, these traits combined to also make Count Fleet unforgettable. It sounds obvious, but it's worth listening to jockeys. Ultimately, it is they who sit on a thoroughbred, take it through its paces, and pick up either nuanced concerns from a way a horse is running, or, more happily, good vibes if their mount is offering something out of the ordinary. To that end, we should be grateful that John Hertz, founder of the eponymous car rental empire and owner of a self-bred yearling called Count Fleet, listened to jockey Johnny Longdon when the former was on the verge of selling him. Longdon, known to his weighing room colleagues as the Pumper, felt it worth sticking up for the horse, who he sensed had more to give. Hertz relented, and we hope later in life offered Longdon a bonus, as Count Fleet would soon become one of the greats of 20th century North American racing. Hertz's misgivings were understandable. Count Fleet, who both started and finished his life at Hertz's Stoner Creek Stud in Kentucky, was no oil painting. Breeding commentator Abraham Hewitt described him as narrow, light-waisted and flat-muscled, with less than ideal action. His head was charitably referred to as plain, and experts deemed him too leggy. But no one could fault his energy. Following Longdon's prescient advice, the son of unfashionable Kentucky Derby winner Ray Count, and aptly named Dam Quickly, was sent into training with former World War I balloon pilot Don Cameron. After two green and slightly erratic runs as runner-up, he got his act together by sprinting to an easy victory at Aqueduct, just shy of the course record, despite displaying his tendency to run very wide around the bends. He followed up with a slew of victories and the odd second place over several East Coast tracks, including Belmont and Empire City, over five and six furlongs, sometimes against his great two-year-old rival, Occupation. They traded wins, with some thinking occupation the better. But at one morning gallop, a few days before their third matchup in the big pursed Belmont Futurity, Longdon couldn't control the boisterous Colt, who, in front of many stopwatch holding onlookers, proceeded to run six furlongs in one minute eight and a fifth seconds. It was one of the fastest training runs by any horse of any age. And suddenly, the racing world realised that they had a rocket on their hands. Soon enough, only the superb horseman Longdon was allowed to ride the colt at home or on track. In one incident at training in Belmont, the Count was going for it, and as Longdon spotted two horses coming towards him from the other direction, tried to veer his colt away to safety, as though this equine lunatic was going to listen. He refused to slow or change direction, forcing Longdon, incredibly, to thread himself between the two closely paired incomers, 
at a combined speed of nearly 80 miles an hour. Ever his horse's favourite apologist, Longdon would point out, he was not a mean horse, just one full of the devil. Unsurprisingly, in the futurity itself, he let his exuberance get the better of him, cut his front hooves with his back legs, came third, and then carried on running uncontrollably for an extra six furlongs past the winning post. But this time, there were extenuating circumstances, as Count Fleet liked the ladies. In the field was top filly Ask Me Now, who, it transpired later, was in season. She was just trying to run her race, but to the excitable Count Fleet she was all cooing and wiggles. As an exasperated Longdon recounted after, he kept alongside Ask Me Now, nose and nose, and nothing interested him except to remain in her companionship. If she spurted, the Count would spurt with her. If she slowed stride, so did he. I tried everything that was possible to end her fascination and pull away from her, but nothing helped. The Count would never lose again. With connections realising two things, that he needed further and that he was slightly mad, a week later he ran over a mile at Belmont's Champagne Stakes. Not only did he crush his rivals by six lengths, but his time of 1 minute 34 and 4 fifth seconds was a world record for a juvenile over the distance. In another six-length victory in an allowance race, he once again took on occupation over eight and a half furlongs, this time with no injury. Evenly matched down the back stretch, the Count's class then told as he peeled six lengths ahead in another course record. He rounded off his season with an amazing 30-length victory in the Walden Stakes at Pimlico, and the US now emphatically knew who their two-year-old champ was, his figure of 132 being the highest ever assigned to a two-year-old at the experimental free handicap. It now being 1942, and the world still in the depths of war, he spent an atypical winter in Arkansas, before he returned in 1943 for his classic season. Still only weighing barely a thousand pounds, or 454 kilos, he kicked off with a facile allowance race over an extended mile in New York, before plundering the Wood Memorial by an easy three and a half lengths. The Kentucky Derby and history beckoned. Yet it might so easily not have been. Transport restrictions were in place, and unnecessary travel much reduced. Thus, out-of-state visitors were limited. Further, no one was permitted to arrive by car. The 1943 run for the Roses was therefore dubbed the Streetcar Derby. But the 60,000-strong crowd still sent Count Fleet off as odds-on favourite. He didn't disappoint. Gradually pouring it on, Longdon only gave him one little shake, and he took off again, ambling home by three lengths. The Preakness a week later was even easier with the Count cruising to an eight-length victory over just three opponents. Before the Belmont Stakes, his boundless energy was so high that Cameron ran him in the Wither Stakes over a muddy mile. A five-length victory in a quick time, despite again demonstrating his odd preference to round the turn incredibly wide. So to the Belmont, where now only two rivals had the courage to oppose him. Laws forbade his starting price to get any lower than 20 to 1 on. He led throughout, 
and with Longdon essentially motionless, he pulled further and further ahead, finishing 25 lengths clear of his nearest pursuer in a new stakes record. Indeed, everyone in the crowd agreed the judge's estimate had been conservative to the point of stinginess, and that the true figure was, like Secretariat three decades later, well over 30 lengths. Exhibiting true wartime spirit, his silks were auctioned off in the unsaddling enclosure straight after, raising $50,000 in war bonds. Was his the strongest ever triple crown in terms of competition? Probably not, but notwithstanding Citation, Secretariat and others, it was undoubtedly the most ridiculously easy in terms of execution. It also, sadly, marked his racing end. What the crowd hadn't realised was that this remarkable victory was in fact even more incredible than it first seemed. His eternal vitality had got the better of him, and again he had injured his left fore-ankle early on in running. In Longdon's biography, he states, he fractured a bone in his left front leg. I felt him bobble in the long stretch, and knew he had hurt himself. I started to pull him up, but he'd had none of it. He just grabbed the bit in that bull-headed way of his and took off again. Months of treatment ensued, but it just couldn't heal. Tragically, Hertz had to take the decision to retire his wonder cult at the height of his powers, with the Horse of the Year title already a shoe-in. Count Fleet proved to be a successful stallion, twice topping the US rankings. His 1951 insurance policy, at $550,000, the heftiest for a stallion at the time, only reinforced the incredibly high regard in which he was still held. Even so, his effervescence slowly morphed into rambunctiousness, while bizarrely, he also gradually developed a fear of the dark, insisting on being taken to his barn before twilight, rain or shine. Fully 33 years, 8 months and 7 days after his foaling, the old Count's front legs gave up. He was already the longest-lived Kentucky Derby winner in history, but still valiantly spent two days trying to stand. It was not to be, and his patient and loving handlers sent the ebullient colt onto his final journey. To find out more about Count Fleet and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world, and share the exploits of another great horse from another era. You can punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.